at the end of the day, being able to tell a, a young person, you know, there, there will be struggles in your life, whatever you go through, whether you're gay or, or straight or anything else, there's of course gonna be good days and bad days, but hopefully on the bad days, you can remember that, you know, there are people who care about you. Welcome to the Lax Goalie Rat Podcast. Every week, we'll be talking shop with lacrosse goalies, coaches, and special guests. This is the Lax Goalie Rat Podcast. Now your host, Coach Damon Wilson. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, goalies from around the world, welcome to the Lax Goalie Rat Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Damon, and this is the show 100% dedicated to what I biasly think is the best position in sports. I am, of course, talking about the lacrosse goalie, and on this show, it's my job to track down the best goalies in our sport, interview them, find out what makes them so great, what are the stories they can tell us, what are the drills that they do, what are the mindsets that they have that perhaps you can use in your own lacrosse goalie game. My guest on the show this week is Dr. Andrew Goldstein. Andrew has an amazing story. We've heard a lot of openly gay female lacrosse goalies, but never on the male side. And Andrew Goldstein was actually the first American male team sport professional openly gay athlete during his career. And we talk about his story of playing at Dartmouth playing for the Boston Cannons in the MLL, Long Island Lizards uh, also in the MLL. Awesome, amazing story. I hope you find some inspiration from Dr. Andrew Goldstein. It's an incredible story. So please enjoy this episode with Andrew Goldstein. Before we start this episode, I want to read a word from our sponsor, and that is the Lacrosse Goalie Summit. We recently concluded the summit in March where 13 amazing coaches gave absolutely incredible presentations about how to level up your lacrosse goalie game. We had Coach Jack Runkle talking about communication. We had a mental toughness coach. We had a mindset coach, a mindfulness coach. We had Amber Hill talking about mental health. So many awesome sessions. If you miss the event, you can still get access to these virtual coaching sessions, all the replays. Just go to GoalieSummit.com. Liz Hogan gave a great presentation about developing your own lacrosse goalie drills. Alex Reddy, amazing presentation about saving more low shots. So if you want to grab those replays, they're still available. You can get them at GoalieSummit.com. Just head over to www.GoalieSummit.com. Enjoy the show. It is a pleasure to welcome to the Lax Goalie Rap Podcast, All-American Dartmouth goalie, Andrew Goldstein. Andrew, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is going to be tons of fun. I can't wait to hear and, and kind of talk through your story, but I would love to know where it started. When was the first time you, uh, you jumped into goal? Um, so I, I have a lot of goalies in my family. I'm the youngest of three siblings, and my sister was an ice hockey goalie. And my brother ended up playing goalie uh, in college in lacrosse. So I had been around a lot of goalieing. And I think growing up, I did a lot of basement street hockey goalie, but I actually never played ice hockey goalie. And then uh, 
I started playing lacrosse sixth grade, I think. And my first game was midfield and then my second game was goalie and, and that was it. <laughs> never, never looked back from there, huh? Yeah. A lot of the youth goalies, uh, you know, when they start out, myself included, like it's tough, right? Like, it's, like the ball's getting shot at you pretty, pretty fast. You're not wearing much padding. Um, and your natural reaction is just to kind of flinch like that. I'm curious if, if that was your experience as well. Well, I mean, looking back, I wasn't very good at stepping to the ball, but I, I loved, I loved goalie. Like I was saying, I was, when I was with my friends and we'd play, um, I don't know if you ever did this. So when you, when you play youth hockey, you go to a tournament and everyone's got those little mini hockey sticks and you know, they're like two feet long and you play in the hallways in the hotel uh you know in between games and I was always playing goalie with, with that so I think I just liked kind of throw, throwing my body at the ball but I I don't think I was uh too I, I definitely remember I was not very good at stepping at the ball I remember the, the first coach who had a clue <laughs> telling me you have to attack the ball but yeah uh, yeah what what is it about the lacrosse goalie position that that you love the most um I think I love that there's a lot of different ways to contribute. So if I compare it, for example, to ice hockey goalie, where you're pretty limited to being in the crease, the, you know, the really good ones can kind of make an outlet pass in, in hockey. But in lacrosse, the way I played was sort of like a midfielder who was put in the net and I never wanted to stay in the crease. And there were always, you could make a save, but then you could make a good pass. You could go run out ground balls and, um, yeah, I, I always liked trying to just run with it and, and get around people and, and, and make a good pass to an attackman or something like that. So, I, yeah, I, I like the fact that it was both uh, uh, the, the last person on defense, but also the first person on offense. Yeah, yeah, I love that fact, too. And, and like you said, like if you're not having a great game making saves, you can contribute in so many other ways, right? Like chasing out a shot. Being a being a very loud leader and communicator uh, to the defense, so lo lots of ways to to uh, to contribute, which I love. Uh, so you, so you weren't stepping at first, um, but but you know, given kind of where where you ended up, I imagine along along the way you learned. And I'm curious, you know, how you went about uh, learning the the ropes of lacrosse goalie. Yeah, when I was in seventh grade, I went to Bill Pilot's goalie school. Yeah, and. That was amazing. I, I'd never learned so much in three days or however long it is. And just, uh, I went back every year. I went for the winter. They, they had a winter thing in Florida and around December time. And I would go back for more. I, I loved that. So you'd go home, they'd give you a, a video and you'd just watch yourself and, and try to improve. So I had that. And then, like I said, my older brother played lacrosse goalie. So from time to time, he would give me some some pointers. It's rare to have two goalies in the family, isn't it? Usually, it's like usually you just have the one, and then the other guy gets to shoot on that goalie. But you you, you guys you guys are a family of goalies, which is pretty cool. Yes, definitely. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so you know how does how does um, the dream or how does the idea of playing Division One lacrosse start to come? Like at a certain point in high school, you're like, okay, I'm pretty pretty good at this I can probably play at the next level or what's kind of the, the story there uh well in my family sports was everything and my sister she was incredible at ice hockey she actually played for team USA oh, wow. For, oh, wow. for a while and 
So I always kind of looked at what she did and wanted to be great at sports. And I was pretty good at sports. And I grew up playing ice hockey since when I was you know, three or four years old. But around middle school age, it was very clear. I mean, the people, I'm from Boston, the, the, the top players, they go on to play in the NHL. And it was clear that that was not me. And so I definitely wanted something that I could be great at. And I mean, luckily lacrosse ended up being the thing. When I was a freshman in high school, I started on the varsity team. And so being just kind of a quiet, shy kid in ninth grade, but then walking around campus and having all of the seniors, you know, the, the jocks in school kind of high-fiving me as I walk around suddenly gives you this, um, this clout that you have and, I, and just kind of loved loved that feeling and of course loved getting to getting to play and make saves make make plays so I think I I hoped you know that I could play college lacrosse at that point but it was probably over there was a, a Martin Luther King Day tournament down in the down in I think New Jersey or Maryland that that we did and I, I came down with a, a team from Massachusetts and it ended up going really well. And I won goalie of the tournament and a bunch of college coaches sent me information after that. And I started to think, okay, yeah, may, maybe it's actually possible for me to, to play at the next level. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, being a shy, quiet kid, that was me as well growing up. Like I was, I was also very shy, very quiet. And in many ways, like being in the goalie for me, took me out of that. Like it, it grew me as a person. Cause like when you're the goalie, like you have to be loud and you have to be the leader. That's kind of like, you know, you're the, you're the captain of the defense. You see everything. Um, and I'm curious, did you have that, you know, that same experience? What did, did playing this position sort of help you kind of, um, you know, get more confidence just in terms of your life? Uh, I mean, I, I don't think I was ever that great at being the vocal leader on the field. My coaches were always telling me to, to talk more. I, I felt like um, if, if I had a strong you know, defensive leader in front of me, that could be a little bit more of the, the person that, that some goalies are. That was a little bit better for me. I could focus on making saves and trying to, you know, clearing the ball was always one of my, my specialties. It was like me and a long stick midfielder. If we were on the left side, I took it. If we were on the right side, he took it and we would just clear the ball in the midfield. So I think there, there were, there were other strengths and, and ways I was helping the team, but yeah, I, I was never the most vocal leader on the field. And I think mm -hmm. there were you know other reasons why I was shy, but certainly being on the field and kind of making big saves and making plays that gave me confidence you know, elsewhere in life that was, I'm, I'm very grateful for, because yeah, it's, it's not something necessarily, I mean, you, you work toward it, but it's also something that you're, you're born, born with certain gifts and, and certainly lucky to have that. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, a big, a big part of your story is being an openly gay athlete. Um, first professional sport, team sport, openly gay athlete, right? Is that Quite, quite an accomplishment, quite, quite, a, quite an accomplishment. I'm curious, you know, when did you first realize, is it back in that high, those high school days, did you first realize that, hey, like I'm, you know, I'm gay? Yeah, I, looking back, I pretty much always knew something was going on mm -hmm. and hopefully a little bit less so now, but certainly back then, 
it was very clear to a, a five-year-old boy that being gay or being effeminate or being anything like that was a bad thing. You hear it over and over. You get all the all the messages, and I, I think to a certain extent it, it continues, even though we've we've made a lot of strides. So yeah. I always knew that that was something that I was supposed to hide, supposed to be ashamed of, supposed to try to get rid of. And so around, you know, when, when puberty hits and sixth grade, seventh grade, and people are starting to, you know, experience that, it, it became pretty clear to me that that was something I probably couldn't just hide. I couldn't suppress. I, I, I certainly did everything I could, which, you know, is, is its own thing to, to kind of keep it under wraps and not let anyone see. But that was something I, I knew very clearly from, from middle school and all through high school that it was something that was my truth. No one mm -hmm. was allowed to know because if they did, I wouldn't be accepted and, and I wouldn't be able to, you know, be me. So that was kind of the, the way I, I lived my life at that time. Interesting. Yeah. What was it specifically that they were saying or doing that, that made it seem like being gay is not is not right is it is it just like referring to bad things as oh that's that's so gay or is it making fun of like someone else for being gay um or, or what kind of specific things did, did did you hear yeah no i appreciate that question because it's not something we we think about a lot but um there's a lot of aspects so the the easiest one would be sure the the things that people say the what's sometimes referred to as casual homophobia. So just something like that's so gay or what a fag or, or this or that. So that's, that's pretty commonplace. Then you have the assumptions. So it's just assumed that every young boy is going to be interested in girls and that continues. Mm -hmm. And just the amount of times that happens every single day, week after week, year after year, and you begin to recognize, okay, that's the way it's supposed to be. And then you get into media. So, I mean, it was only a couple of years ago that I heard for the first time a song sung by a man to a man about love. The only songs I ever heard growing up were sung to the opposite sex, same kind of things in TV. We've seen a lot of change in TV and film with not just gay characters being people who were evil or were going to die of disease and are actually people worthy of love and having family. So, so much of that has changed. And then you have the politics sort of the, the George Bush era of every election was, you know, how many anti-gay um, provisions can be put on the ballot because that's going to mm -hmm. turn out people. And of course, the harm that that does to young, to young people. So you're kind of getting it from all elements. But for me, the, the most proximal was, of course, in the locker room where you hear more of that casual homophobia. Yeah. And that's, that's why I asked the question is because many people might not realize that they're actually being insulting. Right. Wouldn't you agree that like there's probably people out there that I mean, you know, we'll get to your story in a little bit, but there's probably a lot of your teammates that once they realized that you were gay, like, hey, they had no problem with it. Right. But at the same time, they were the ones that would use that type of language, kind of unknowing, unknowing of the fact that it's really damaging one of their teammates. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the the biggest lesson I learned through my own story and talking to other people who went through their their own version is that the sometimes the words we hear create a, a misunderstanding they, they kind of create the misconception that 
if there was someone who was gay, they wouldn't be accepted. And so that leads to kind of the, the yeah, self-hatred yeah. and the shame and, and the hiding. When the truth is, for most people, not everyone, but for most people, when their teammates know they're gay, they receive so much support. And so it's just those words create this kind of misconception that leads to all of this stuff when if I guess, you know, if people didn't say those words or were a little more inclusive or made maybe uh, less assumptions and just kind of stayed open, then others might not have to work so hard to suppress their truth and could just kind of be, be themselves. So that that's yeah. probably what I would say coming out of all that. Interesting. It's got to be pretty exhausting for you, um, you know, hiding that, right? Like, I mean, you just kind of like always have to like double think or like think through your actions. You know what I mean? Instead of just living, instead of just living how you are, we, we had an athlete uh, or a really good friend of mine on the Cal team um, who came out as gay. And like, you know, he would, he told us later on, you know, like, he would always think like, you know, what would a straight person do here, right? Like, you know, like kind of living this lie. And so I imagine for you is very exhausting. It is. Yeah. It's this, it's this constant track in the background. What are you doing with your hands? What are you saying? What are you, what, where are you looking? What are you, you know, everything you're doing, you're, you're checking yourself because you don't want to give away something that's going to completely ruin your life. And that's, that's the feeling you have is that if you give something away, all that you've worked for is just going to crumble, which of course is not true. And right, yeah, right. It, it is exhausting to have that running all the time, which is why it's just an unbelievable relief that cannot be explained to someone who hasn't been through it, what that degree of relief feels like the day you just kind of put it all behind you and realize, you know, I, I don't care if anyone uh, disagrees with who I am, I'm just going to like live that openly and not have to hide anymore. Cause yeah, yeah it's, yeah. it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. What, did you ever have any moments in high school where, where you were like close to coming out or did, did the coming out process like ever factor into your decision to go to Dartmouth or, you know, how did that work for you? Um, I, I never had a vision of being that person who others would know was gay. It was, it was, it was like, um, in complete contradiction with the life that I imagined. And I just couldn't, I couldn't play that out. So I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't see that. I once got really sad and desperate. And I wrote a letter to my best friend at the time and I stuck it in a drawer and I never gave it to him. And I think I probably went back later and burned it just in case anyone stumbled upon it. Cause it's like, yeah. it's that, it's that deep of a secret. Yeah. Yeah. And like, did you go out with girls and like trying, trying to like, like live this double life? Yeah. I, um, I tried to do what I could to kind of throw people off, but without causing some girl a lot of pain for, for leading her too far on. So I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. I think mo most of the girls that I went out with sort of figured out what was happening or, um, you know, they, they left me behind knowing I wasn't going to advance things too far. Yeah. That's, that's what our team, that's what my friend did. He would like, he went out with, before he was out, he went out with girls, but then they always would say like, he's kind of weird. Like he just would kind of leave it. Cause you're right. He didn't want to leave, leave them on and, and kind of like uh, lie to them. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, so you end up, you get to Dartmouth, right. And um, 
you know, going back to the lacrosse goalie, was there, I mean, did you guys have like lacrosse goalie coaches? Did your lacrosse goalie game, you know, get significantly better once you arrived at Dartmouth? Yeah. My first two years we had uh, a goalie coach and we worked really closely together and we were always doing sessions. We were videotaping, watching the videos, going through everything. I mean, it was amazing the way he would dissect the, you know, you, you always have a thing where you kind of flinch one way and then you should be when the ball is going the other way. And we'd, we'd work through those things. And, wow. um, and so my first year at Dartmouth, I was the backup goalie, which is challenging for someone who had started every game pretty much of his life at that point. Um, but we, yeah, we, we worked together as, um, kind of a, a goalie group with, with a good goalie coach and, um, that, yeah, it, it was amazing. My, my second yeah. two years at Dartmouth, we didn't have a goalie coach. And, um, so it was a little bit harder to kind of keep my game up, but we, you know, worked, worked on other things. Yeah. That's cool that you got, that you got that experience. And, and I mean, we're talking 2003, so video is not very, not as prevalent you know, as it is now, we were talking before we hit record. Now there's just videos of all these different angles, like, you know, 4k quality video, and you can just really break it down. Uh, but that's cool that you got to do that. How did you handle being a backup? That, that, that's a pretty common issue that lacrosse goal. There's only one goalie that plays, right? Um, and it's kind of tough for a lot of goalies on their psyche, right? on the on the mental piece. I'm curious how you went about, you know, staying with the team, being a good teammate, but, but not getting the starts. Yeah. I don't think I was always great at it. So there, if I, if I could go back and be a backup again, which I'm not sure why I would, but uh, I would probably do things, you know, a little differently, but I always tried to work hard and, and try to grow and learn. I, I had an assumption that when I got to Dartmouth, I'd be a backup for at least two years because there was a, a goalie two years ahead of me. And so I didn't, and even after that, I didn't assume that I would become the starter after that because you don't know who's going to come in behind you. It might be the number one goalie recruit in the country. Sure. So I think there's um, a certain understanding that if you want to play, you're going to have to work hard and pay your dues and get lucky if if the opportunity opens up. But I remember there were there were times where I mean it gets it gets cold in Hanover, New Hampshire, in in winter, and so there's some some days where practice was late at night and it's, it's quite cold. And I'm at one end where nothing's really happening. And the starting goal is at the other end where we're working through stuff. And yeah, maybe the, the mental aspect starts to decline a little bit in those moments. And um, I remember one moment where I, I said something stupid about how I feel useless over here. And the, the, one of the leaders of the team at the time, he was a junior um, and he just said, you should never think that every person on this field is important. We, we need all of you to, you know, to, to be a good team. And it was kind of a, a wake up moment um, because he was absolutely right. I, I was always a team player that that was always important to me. And the fact that I had said something to elicit that kind of response made me feel kind of, kind of stupid for having said that. But um, I, I certainly never said anything like that again. Yeah. That's cool. That's a very good learning moment, right? And it's very um, true, <laughs> very true. Right? All the young lacrosse goalies out there, like you might think that like you're not having an impact because you're the backup or or you give up tons of goals, right? But all it takes a lot of times is that one play 
Um, and that's the beauty of this position. You can completely flip it around with just that one play. Yeah. I mean, my, my first year when I was the backup, I got thrown into the end of a game where it was a blowout and I looked awful. There was a goal that I was so focused on the defense. I wasn't even watching and the ball just went in without me even moving toward the ball or recognizing that had gone in. And I remember that the head coach just saying to me after the game, if I'm going to put you in, I need to feel confident that you know what the hell you're doing. And <laughs> that was, you know, again, another kind of embarrassing wake up moment. And the next time he threw me in a game, I made a couple of unexpected saves, including the ball hitting me, but at least I was looking at where it was coming from. And that gave me an opportunity to actually have, have significant time at the end of my freshman year against Princeton, which was a, you know, ex exciting moment. So definitely recognizing the importance of, staying mentally prepared because yeah, the, the backup can get thrown in a game. And if you look bad, you lose opportunities. And if you look good, you, you, you gain opportunities. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I always, I always preach that like one, you know, be prepared for when that moment comes. Cause it could be a slashing penalty. It could be a, a sprained ankle from the start injury from the starter, but you know, once you get that opportunity, like be prepared and, and run with it. Uh, and you did. Yeah. So you end up getting, yeah, I mean, you end up becoming multiple all American um, at Dartmouth, uh, including the 2003 season where you guys won the Ivy league. Uh, congratulations. Um, how, you know, how did that, how did that feel? And how was that season for you? It was incredible. My, so my first year, my freshman year, the team was zero and six in the Ivy league. We were dead last. And so you don't really know what you're, you know, what your fortunes are when you start the next season. And yeah. I was starting the next season as the backup goalie, but I was competing for that. And the starting goalie who was a senior at the time injured his knee. And so I jumped in and uh, when he got healthy, I, you know, the, the team was on a roll. So I, I got to keep that job. And, and as you said, you know, earn all American honors that year. So it was, it was really exciting considering going from worst to first in the Ivy league and, and getting to go to the NCAA tournament. It was amazing. Yeah. What, what was the change? Did you guys get some new recruits? Did like the team just kind of click in a certain way or what, what was it about that season that you guys were able to turn things around? It's hard to pinpoint one thing, but um, there were a number of people my year who as freshmen had started to get a little bit of time and as sophomores really took on that role and, and owned that we had a few freshmen who, who came in who were really talented and we had really strong junior and senior leadership. So the, especially our captains on the team, they just, it was a classic example of the, what we were doing on the field was more than the individual talents. It was just something magical was coming together. And uh, we had a, a fiery coach who, who certainly pushed us hard and believed that we could, do what we did love it and you're too humble to say it so i'll say it. and great goalie play <laughs> <laughs> that matters so much uh so that leads to this uh you know you guys win the ivy league you play syracuse in the dome first round of the tournament um and it leads to this play that i want to uh if i could i'm going to share my screen we can watch the video uh, I got to admit the video is just horrible quality, so <laughs> it's going to be really small, but I got the audio synced up to it too. So we can kind of just take a look at it. Uh, by the way, so I got this other video in the background here. You can kind of see where we're at now <laughs> nowadays. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I don't think you're gonna be able to see this, but here we go. 
the restart has Banks working in near side, cuts in front, shot saved again by Goldstein right on the doorstep. What a game he's having. He's taking the ball on the clear himself, running toward midfield up the far sideline. Still on the stick. Box. Left side of the attack box. Goldman running in toward the goal. He's looking for a shot. Shot! Oh! Oh! <laughs> Andrew Goldstein with a goal! A goalie scores a goal to tie the game in the playoffs. I don't believe that that just happened. It's all tied up. The Dartmouth bench is on fire. Goldstein's running back down the field on fire. That was the best goal I have ever seen watching lacrosse. What a play. What a play. That's awesome. So talk, talk us through this play right here. You, you, um, you make the save and I mean, there's a lot of traffic going on and you just, boom, I'm taking off. Is it, was that kind of a part of your goalie game? Like always, you know, kind of leading the clear on foot. Yeah. I mean, that, that was something I did in high school. I was always the, the, the one man clear, they would say. So that was something I, I was always looking for opportunities to kind of get, get things going. And so actually running out the left side was sort of a, a typical move that eventually people scouted and just put an attack <laughs> sitting on the left side. So I couldn't yeah. do that. There, there were a couple of times that season where I ran out to the left, but ultimately would kind of pass it forward to someone. And I guess you can see someone actually at the, at the 50 yard line ahead of me that I did not pass through that time. I think I was just <laughs> keep, you know, Keep it going. Heads down. Yeah. Well, so you sort of um, with the speed reminds me of uh, of Brett Queener right here. You know, like that style lefty as well. Uh, with the speed, the announcer gets so pumped up he calls you Goldman instead of Goldstein. <laughs> uh, but then you've got a uh, you got you got basically a clear path, and then boom. That's I think that's Rob Mulligan uh, on Syracuse who I had on the podcast. He's a, he's a uh, awesome guy, and then bam. I mean that had to feel. That had to feel incredible, especially like given the moment and and the um, like the the importance of that game and, and it ties it up. Right. So that had to be an amazing feeling for you. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing was just it was out of this world. The, the, it was the only game to the, still to this point that Dartmouth men's lacrosse has played in the NCAA tournament ever. And when we walked into, into the carrier dome, we were just all in awe and actually the Syracuse basketball team had just won I think it was Carmelo Anthony they just won the national championship and there was this massive banner up there and so playing there and having probably the biggest crowd we had played at at that point I mean so many people from Syracuse come and everyone in my family made the long drive to get there my nice. my boyfriend was there but nobody knew that he was my boyfriend at the time because <laughs> Dartmouth had sent buses of students and it was just I mean like I, I cannot remember doing that. It was just something that 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 happened. And blacked out, blacked out, and went went the full length of the field and scored a goal. Uh, well, that's amazing. Um, and you guys gave them a run for your money. I mean, they were I don't know what seed they were. They were like top three, I think, right? Like, and I think you lost uh, thirteen to eleven, so re real close game. Uh, but that's actually awesome. Had the lead in the fourth quarter. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> that would have been tremendous. Um, I read somewhere, or maybe I listened to an interview that, you know, you, you took that success on the field and to you, that gave you the confidence to then come out to your team. Is, is that true? Could you kind of talk us through uh, what was going on for you? Yeah. I mean, that whole season was just amazing. And it just so happened that that was kind of the, the time in my life where I was coming to my own. And, and like I said, I started dating someone in secret, but it was an actual relationship and his roommates all all knew and so I was kind of like 
ready to to share that and feeling pretty high off of that goal and being all American and team MVP and feeling like, well, th- this has got to be the moment where I can stop kind of hiding all of that. So the also Dartmouth has a unique semester system where after your second year, you stay over the summer. It's called sophomore summer. And you basically, it's just like summer camp. You have the whole campus. It's the most perfect weather. you got a river there. We go down swimming, boating in the river and it's just your class. So it's like all your friends. And it was just a, a great time to get to be myself. And, and so that's when I came out to my, my teammates, came out to my classmates, the sophomores, and then that kind of sp- spread amongst the team. Yeah. How was that moment for you coming out for your, to your teammates? It must've been very, um, you know, so much writing on it. Like, like you said, you know, and you've built it up in your head quite a bit. Um, you know, how was it to come out to your teammates? Um, it was scary in the fact that I hadn't yet said the words I'm gay out loud to more than one or two people at that time. So mm. just, it's like, I wanted to own my truth, but all of the, kind of like the trauma and self-hatred from growing up learning that that's the bad, you know, a bad thing to be for a boy, just, it's hard to just even say it. So I think getting the words out was the hardest part, but having everyone know was just the best part because I didn't have to go through that experience. And I did it in kind of a way that was the most comfortable to me at the time, maybe not the most courageous, but I think just doing it was pretty courageous for, for that era. And then I just told one person and asked if he could just tell the other guys. And by the end of the day, basically everybody knew everybody said whatever, you know, whatever went through their mind, they said they have my back and with my teammates, I didn't have to worry about it anymore. That was going to be my next question is how your teammates reacted. And I mean, I would imagine that they'd be very inclusive, but you know, it, it sounds like that's the case. Yeah, I mean, I, and to be honest, I I was uncomfortable with it. I was uncomfortable with the conversations. I didn't know what to say. I really didn't want to, I kind of wanted to just go right past it and just be their teammate who was gay. And so I didn't seek out long, thoughtful conversations with them. I wasn't ready to to express myself that way. So it was really mm-hmm. just, you did what you got to do to have my back. That's good with me. And so- yeah. There were people who certainly said a lot of things and they um, applauded me for being able to share that. And, and some apologized for things they said that maybe had made me feel bad in the past, which I certainly appreciated. Um, but yeah. Yeah. at the time, I wasn't really interested in going going too much into it. It took, took me months, if not years, to kind of get comfortable enough to, to express myself and, and kind of, you know, speak, speak it all in words. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Um, did um, do you feel like you know once you have that burden off of your shoulders, like do you feel like it ch- kind of like change you as a person, like your personality? Like I I don't need to be this person I'm not anymore. Like they know I can be who I am. Like it, did did you feel like you changed after that moment? Yeah, I think in a certain extent it was night and day. There's just there's no going back. It's like you make that decision and. Because at the same time, I told all my fraternity brothers and I told my family. And so it's just kind of like, here I am. I don't have to hide to any of those people, which is amazing. But at the same time, 
there is an evolution where um, all of the behaviors that I'd practiced over the years, you don't just drop them all overnight. But I would say those who knew me, my teammates, my fraternity brothers, my friends, my family, they'll say that they finally got to know me. You know? Yeah. 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 We had, we, like I said, I had, I had a really good friend of mine and I, I, you know, he, I feel like acted to hide his, his gayness acted very like over the top masculine, like get in fights, you know, like, like do, do, you know, go out with girl, like just really, you know, the things that he was not, um, I don't know, maybe he was deep down, but, but I certainly noticed that after he came out, like he got more comfortable and his personality kind of changed a little bit to where, you know, he was, he was not that guy, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I would say one more thing is when you're, when you're closeted and working that hard to suppress people finding out that you're gay, it's inherently selfish because you're putting so much attention on yourself. And so once you come out, there's a lot more room to be there for others, to be a good friend. Mm. And for example, now in my life, a major part of my job is being a mentor, being a teacher and being a, you know, trying to be a good listener and, and show up for people. And that's just something that does kind of change overnight because putting so much attention on yourself and then not needing to, you just, you have a lot more room to be, to be kind to other people. Interesting. Yeah, that's a great point. It's a great point. Um, it's a lot easier to come out when I feel like you're the star of the team or you've had a great All-American season, right? Do you feel like you still would have done that if, you know, in 2003 you were the backup? Or said another way, like if someone is a backup goalie, they're on their team, they're gay, they're, they're listening to this and they're like, oh, man, what do I do? Like, I'm not the star of the team. What would be, you know, what would be your advice to them? Well, Everyone has to just come out when it's uh, when it makes most sense for themselves, for their situation, the support system they have, how comfortable they are. So I would never, I would never suggest someone come out earlier or later. It's just it's their journey. It's you know you have to figure out what works for you. I I don't know what what would have been differently if if the starting goalie didn't injure his knee, he stayed the goal the starter, and I was the backup at that time. Would I have? wanted to come out what I felt comfortable. I, I can't say, mm -hmm. but I know for me, I'm very fortunate. It's certainly a bit of a crutch in terms of coming out. I didn't have, I wasn't alone. I didn't have to get, I, I didn't get made fun of for being gay after I came out. I was respected for being a you know, important player on the lacrosse team. So I was kind of protected from a lot of the homophobia that, and, um, Kind of harmful language that can get thrown at people after they come out and and want to express themselves so yeah for that that was my story i, I can't change it i'm very grateful for the experiences i had yeah, um, yeah. For, for someone who, who's a backup you know you have to kind of listen to your heart and and do your thing but the the way you perform on the field shouldn't determine the respect you get from your teammates and the, the respect you get as a human being great point yeah great point you know, part of being uh, a lacrosse goalie is the fans try and get in your head, right? Like, I mean, they talk a lot. They try, they talk a lot of smack uh, and they'll try, they'll find anything. Like for me, it's, you're short, you know, you got acne, you, you, you know, whatever. Um, and I'm curious for you, like after you came out, like, did you start to get chirps from the sidelines at all about, about that topic? I did not. 
Great. Actually, all of the things I heard before I came out, somehow the most of the fans where we played were educated enough, you know, aware enough to yeah. know that that would actually be, I don't want to say a hate crime, but that would actually be Very different than just kind of yeah. trying to get in someone's head. It actually would be, um, you know, teasing someone who is openly gay for being gay is a little bit different than trying to get in a goalie's head. So Good. yeah, Good. actually was protected for, from that pretty much after I came out, which is, uh, which is a good thing. That is a great thing. That's awesome to hear. Um, you know, then fast forward a little bit, you get drafted um, in, into the professional uh, lacrosse league at the time, which is the MLL. Um, what was that, what was that night like for you to be drafted, you know, in, into a pro sports league? That was awesome. I, I did not anticipate anything like that. And I got invited to, at that time we went to, there was a, a college in Connecticut where they did the combine or, you know, whatever it is, you kind of meet with the teams and, and you play. And then there was the draft. And actually that night was a really important night for my fraternity where all the seniors passed down the things that were given to them to the younger students so I actually as soon as the scrimmage was over I got in a car drove back to New Hampshire and I found out because someone called me while I was driving and said you just got drafted and I'm driving in the dark through the woods in Vermont to get back to, to college and just had a big smile on my face and was was pretty happy to find that out. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, first and then first openly gay, uh, gay athlete drafted to, you know, in, in, a, in a team sports. Did you feel, um, what's the right word, like a burden, like a responsibility now? Like, hey, everyone knows that I'm, that I'm gay. Like, I need to, you know, represent this group. I need to show the young uh, gay male athletes out there that like, hey, I'm a role model for you. Did, did, you, did you get that sense? was something I struggled with which is kind of trying to be responsive to my own needs and my own comfort level versus the opportunity I had and the platform I had to say something that could make someone feel better about themselves and mm -hmm. so it was my senior year that ESPN came to Dartmouth and followed us around for it was more than a month it was, it was maybe closer to two months they they were at multiple games, home games, away games. They were interviewing all of my teammates and, and coaches. And that was one of those things where you get a, a call from the sports uh, um, media person in the athletic department saying ESPN wants to cover a story for you in sports center. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. And then, no, they really want to. Well, I don't want to be recognized for being gay I, I just want to be like everybody else but no this is actually it means something to to do what you've done and so mm -hmm. that was kind of to me that was what I was comfortable with all right well let's have them come and it'll be something that young people could watch and see that they can be gay play the sport they love excel be supported by their teammates so that was kind of a big moment where I agreed to, to do something like that, which was, I mean, it's, it's invasive, right? You're kind of having cameras in your face, answering very personal questions. And I didn't want to do a lot of that. I turned down most of the media that, that wanted to talk around that time. 
because I just didn't want to that's not what I saw like I I -hmm. saw myself being an athlete just like everyone else I didn't want to make a big deal out of it um and so it was kind of that those opposing forces yeah well I'm glad you did it because I know there's one story that I would love to hear from you Braden Lang am I I saying that right Braden Lang um I mean I'm sure there's many stories uh, of kids kind of learning your story and then feeling uh you know like they've now have a mentor, then they, they, they now have someone to look up to who's someone who's just like them. Uh, but but could you tell us a story about Braden? Yeah, sure. So I mean, yeah, after that story was on ESPN, there were people over the next few years that would reach out and for, for various reasons, tell me kind of what, what it meant to them. And, you know, some people had helped them come out for others, it helped them connect better with their family for other people who identify as straight used as an opportunity to be a better teammate and um so that was really awesome to actually get to hear because sometimes you you do things and you hope that it makes a positive impact but it's very special to actually hear from someone who was impacted by it um and then it kind of dwindled down as the years went by Mm -hmm. but essentially 10 years after it first aired i got an email from uh, a dad of a young lacrosse player. And that was a fairly new experience. Usually it was the athlete themselves reaching out or so um, it was, it was a dad meant something in two ways. First of all, that whatever was going on with the kid was bad enough that the dad wanted to help, but also the fact that the dad was brought in at that point to help, which is something so different. Most of the people I know, they struggled. They didn't want to tell their families out of fear of rejection. And so just the idea that time has passed enough that there are parents wanting to help their LGBTQ plus young kids, like that's awesome. So he reached out that his his son was kind of struggling after having um, made the very courageous decision to tell his, his friends and family. Um, that he was, you know, that he identified as gay. And um, so I was kind of blown away by that and wanted to basically do whatever I could to help to help support him. And so uh, kind of, you know, developed a friendship with with his parents and with a lot of help from, from their local community in uh, outside Philadelphia, we put together a, a game coinciding with the NCAA championship weekend in Philly to kind of, show up for this kid and, and show him that the lacrosse community will have your back. Um, whoever you are, however, you know, you identify and whoever you love, the lacrosse community will be there. And it ended up being a really special day where some of the biggest names in lacrosse came to the courage game, which is what we called it because the NCAA tournament was there just across town. Just some of the, I mean, Dom Starja came by, I mean, just the, the, you couldn't, believe who who came to lend their support and I think uh at at the end of the day being able to tell a a young person you know there there will be struggles in your life whatever you go through whether you're gay or or straight or anything else there's of course going to be good days and bad days but hopefully on the bad days you can remember that you know there are people who care about you love it man that is so awesome that's so awesome the courage game um, and you know what? The lacrosse community is one thing that I love, and especially the lacrosse goalie community. Come on now, this is like a niche within a little niche here. So, you know, if anyone's listening to this and 
and struggling with anything, reach out to me, reach out to Andrew. Uh, you know, we're, we're here for you and we would, we would love to help. And so thank you for doing that, Andrew. That, that's amazing. Um, I've had so many uh, women's lacrosse goalies on the podcast who are gay. I mean, it, it is just like crazy how many of the best elite goalies are gay. I, I, there's got to be something there. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm going to explore it down the road. But it is like, I mean, you look at like the top 10 women's goalies and like they're all gay. But, but no, no male. No, no male goalies have come out as gay. I don't even, I don't even know if there's a, a gay out lacrosse player in D1 at the moment. Um, why do you think that is? Well, first of all, I'll say it is, it's too bad that there aren't because, uh, it would say something about the, the sport and the ability to be open. And also for young people, it means a lot to have someone to look up to. That was something that was so challenging for me when I was 12, 13, 14, coming up in the sport and not seeing anybody that was openly gay, which made me think I couldn't. And I think just having someone, um, uh, I'm certain there are people in Division One lacrosse who are gay. Sure. And there may be people who are out to their teams, but choosing not to make it public beyond that. And that is certainly their right. We know in, in professional sports and the NFL, NHL, MLB, there's a lot of people who've said they know of teammates who, who are gay, but they keep it within the locker room. And if that's their choice, that, that's certainly their right. And I can understand that decision. Having gone through it myself and not knowing how widespread I wanted to, to share the information, I totally understand and, and respect that and would mm -hmm. never ask someone to come out beyond you know, their comfort level but just understand how important it is to young people to see those examples. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that there will be more people who, who feel comfortable doing that. There, there was a, um, someone from Harvard who came out a few years ago and uh, we've actually been, um, we did some, some trainings for a lacrosse team together recently, kind of oh, cool. talking about our different experiences and, and there is power in numbers. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's like one, you know, certainly like if there's no out male athletes in college lacrosse, it's tough. Like you're, you, you went through it. You're a trailblazer, right? Like, and the trailblazers take the arrows. Uh, but, you know, once, once someone else is bashed through that wall, it becomes a little easier for the next guy, a little easier for the next guy. And I'm not saying it's easy by, by any stretch, but like a little bit easier, right? Yeah. I mean, and I think the, the actual problem of why aren't there more or any uh, publicly openly gay division one lacrosse players or, or just NCAA lacrosse players in general. I mean, it, you could kind of break it down to a few things. So you could have people who choose not to stick with the sport because they're afraid they won't be accepted. Um, and that could happen if there's homophobia or just even the, the fear that they won't be accepted at a young age. So that's certainly something to think about in youth lacrosse and high school lacrosse. And then kind of the, the issue of people who do make it through but choose not to come out and 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 I'm sure for very legitimate reasons and and I support them in in making that call but perhaps there's things we can be doing as a community to make them feel welcome to come out and then there's the people like I was mentioning who are probably out within a few people on their team or maybe even out within their entire team and just like I had said when I was in college I didn't want it to be a big deal I just wanted to be like everybody right. else 
And yeah. so I assuming there are people like that who don't want to make a big deal of it because it's being gay doesn't define them. Times have changed in, in certain ways and they just want to play and, and keep it with, with their friends and family. So I, I can yeah. understand yeah. that as well. Yeah, me too. What do you, you, men, you mentioned there's some things that the lacrosse community could do, could do differently. What, um, I mean, what could I do differently? What, you know, what are, is it this, is, is it having these conversations and kind of making it, you know, making, uh, getting the, getting the word out there or, or are there other things you have in mind? Um, well, I mean, thank you for, for having me on. I think that that certainly means a lot, but I, but it's, it's more than kind of having, you don't want the burden to be on the LGBTQ people. You, the, it's really something where we can all kind of question our assumptions and, and the words we say. And so undoubtedly, uh, there's probably things that each of us can do in our own lives, just kind of little little moments where when when we're talking to someone, not assuming their sexuality or even their gender identity. If you think of the example of um, Caitlyn Jenner, who was at one point considered the best male athlete in the world, right? So we really don't know. And we have young male athletes, even what could be going on inside of them. So I think yeah. trying to not make assumptions and trying to be inclusive and you can always let people know that um, you you support them, whatever they are. But I also don't think it's something that requires a whole lot of correction. It's just a, a small, subtle thing that each of us can can do in, in our daily lives. Love it. All right. All right. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the show and 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 sharing your story. And you know, my hope is by getting this conversation out there, you know, there is a young goalie that might listen to this and, and, you know, might, might feel uh, empowered, right. To, to, to live that truth or, or um, look to you as a mentor. So thank you so much for, for what you do. And I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having this conversation. Yeah, it's perfect. Um, so you're, you're what, just, what are you doing now? You're, you, you study medicine. Are you a doctor? Should I be calling you Dr. Goldstein this entire, uh, this entire podcast here? So I'm a professor of biology at UCLA, and I run a research lab studying prostate cancer, and I also teach undergraduate students at the university. So nice. my students call me Dr. Goldstein, but I'm not a medical doctor. I have a PhD in molecular biology. All right. Uh, I'll so. call you the doctor. I'll call you the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and lacrosse, are we, uh, the cleats hung up, or, or do, you still, do you still play every once in a while? So... I use a lacrosse stick regularly, but to play fetch with my dog to, uh, to save the arm. So actually, I, I, I'm on the beach sometimes with the lacrosse stick and people come up to me and uh, actually someone, someone uh, recognized me, which was very strange uh, on the beach and at a dog beach in Long Beach. But uh, yeah, lacrosse is not not happening much except for except for that. But um, I grew up playing ice hockey. I still play ice hockey um, on, a, on a weekly basis. Awesome. Love it. Andrew, if you had to leave the goalies out there with one final piece of advice, what, what would that be? Um, I think kind of coming all the way back around to something we talked about right at the very beginning, which is as a goalie, there are a lot of different ways to contribute to your team. And some days you're just not seeing the ball. You're just not going to make every save and your athleticism and your effort never have to take a day off. So for me, I was always trying to 
you know, run out balls to the end line, trying to pick up ground balls, intercept passes, or just lift up your teammates. And, and as a goalie, um, if you're having a bad day in the net and you can't make a save, there's, it, you know, it, it's, it's your job to find all the ways that you can lift up your teammates and, and show up and, and be, be a good goalie outside of just stopping the ball. I love it. Dr. Goldstein, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Damon. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Dr. Andrew Goldstein. What an amazing goal <laughs> he scored against Syracuse. I mean, this, uh, this guy was Brett Queener before Brett Queener even existed. So quick, so athletic, awesome goalie. Uh, and just an amazing story. Such courage to come out uh, to his teammates in, in you know, the early 2000s, back when I was playing college lacrosse. So there you go. I hope you learned a thing or two from that episode. Remember, GoalieSummit.com. You can still grab the replays uh, to all of the Goalie Summit virtual coaching events that we did. They're really awesome training. You've got the best lacrosse goalie coaches in the game giving you instruction. Guys like John Galloway, Scott Rogers, Alex Reddy, Matt DeLuca, female goalies like Kaylee Waters, Liz Hogan, Gussie Johns. The list really goes on and on. It's elite premier training. Go check that out. I don't care what problem, what challenge you're having as a lacrosse goalie or a lacrosse goalie coach. I'm sure we've done a session to address it. You can check out the full um, list of courses of coaching sessions at goaliesummit.com. All right, that'll do it for this week. We'll be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, get out there, get some work in, do well, and be well. I'm Coach Damon. Take care. You've been listening to the Lax Goalie Rat Podcast with your host, Coach Damon Wilson.